Welcome back to SMT and our series In and Out of the Fray. Today we have special guest Daniel Suelo. His story has prompted a book to be written about him, The Man Who Quit Money, written by Mark Sundin. And in 2000, Daniel made a choice to walk away from mainstream living, left his life savings in a phone booth, and decided to go into the wild. He is author of his own blogs, Moneyless World, Free World, Priceless World, and Living Without Money. Welcome, Daniel. We are so thrilled to be talking with you today. Thanks for having me. So you've been uh, interviewed, uh, you've done a lot of media, um, uh, radio interviews, YouTube documentaries, and so on. And um, you've been asked many, many times about why you made this choice to live without money. Um, it, but if there was a question that has not been asked that you wish someone would ask, what would that be? Pretty much people have covered everything, so it's, it's kind of a hard question. But I, I suppose one that people don't ask very often is, um, is this possible for me? Or what would happen if everybody gave up money? Or is it possible for a moneyless world? And my philosophy is that everything we need already exists, like just cultivate what already exists. Like, I feel like the moneyless world already exists and we're living in it, but we're blinded with the concept of money. Like every day we're doing something freely for someone and taking things freely from others without even really being conscious of it. And I would just say cultivate that. And a lot of people can't do what I've done. You know, it's, it's like... I'm single and I had the right things at the right time to do it. But as far as everyone is able, they can take steps and they can cultivate the moneyless world that's already here. So basically everything I do, I feel like it's not to create a separate world, but to live in this world as it is and recognize the gift economy that already exists. And I, I think it's great if you can to go off on your own and live totally without money or live in a community. But for those who can't, just cultivate what you recognize as moneyless world right now. You've described your decision to live without money as an occurrence that was you know, created out of a lot of factors happening in your life at that time. Uh, in one of your interviews, you had mentioned going through an overwhelming depression you know, having come back from the Peace Corps, taking notice of the da- that dynamic there is between, you know, haves and have-nets, you know, on a national level. Uh, and you also mentioned the realization that, you know, those uh, who were living with less seem to be happier. Can you talk more about that? Basically, I just feel like we're only capable of enjoying what is in front of our faces or what we have right here and right now in the present. And when we have too much, our attention is too divided. And it's not the things that we're lacking that make us unhappy, but thinking about the things that we're lacking or thinking about other things that we don't have or things that we do have, our attention is too divided. That's just basic psychology. We're just unhappy. We're overwhelmed with our stuff and our our obligations, which are come directly from too many possessions. And as we've been going through the process of 
interviewing people for this particular series. And the one thing that I've noticed is a staunch difference between today's younger generation uh, who seem to be growing up with the mentality that there's no point in devoting their entire lives to the money-making machine that is our culture in the U.S. Um, have you encountered any young people recently who have heard your message? And do you feel that the insights you, you have come to understand about gift economy is finally gaining more acceptance in, you know, in, in maybe the younger uh, generation that's coming up? And I would say even especially, you know, people our age. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I really feel that. I feel like the whole world, like people are just not content with the things, way things are. Like, yeah, like all over the country, people are getting tired of work and quitting. <laughs> but, you know, that's how I felt. Like, <laughs> well, but, um, but yeah, um, I do feel like young people are most receptive to this. And I find it encouraging that this is happening. I think people are just getting tired. They're getting tired of the facade. And um, of course, now I'm caretaking my mom. And I've been doing this past seven years and people still come to the house, but not as often. I, I often have to turn, you know, turn people away because it's, you know, it can be overwhelming. Um, yeah. But before I was doing this, most of the people that would come were were way long, younger than I than I am. Once in a while, somebody my age would come around, or a little bit younger. But I feel like a lot of older people are receptive to it uh, logically, but we get too tied down, like we're too programmed by the system and too entrenched. So it's harder to leave it. And it's harder to give it all up. But once in a while that would happen, mm -hmm. you know, people, older people would come, but, but it's not only just the fact that people are younger, but I feel like, like what we're saying, the, the whole culture is just opening their eyes to the hideousness of the system. Mm -hmm. They want to find an alternative I was wondering if you could talk um, a, a little bit about uh, the community part of this. Uh, there's there, there there seems to be an assumption that 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 you're uh, you know a hermit of sorts, and we understand um, that. But you've been very active in the in the surrounding communities near Moab. Um, can you speak about this myth that uh, you know living on the outskirts of society doesn't necessarily mean you have to be alone and that rejecting money doesn't mean you're rejecting community and society and so on. Yeah, that's a funny one. That That's one of the biggest criticisms I would get was, you know, you're a hermit and you're, you're antisocial and you can't cope with people. And, but it's ironic because now that I'm caretaking my mom, I'm living in kind of, it's a modest suburbia. But I just feel like suburban America is so intensely lonely. Like it's mm. designed to be isolating. Mm. Yeah. And I feel like our whole culture is so isolating. And especially like now that we have social media and 
the cyber world that that intensifies that and the fact that my walls were a cave rather than wooden why why does that make me more isolated and i feel mm-hmm. like the whole point of living this way is to acknowledge that we're all completely interdependent on each other like people will also say well um you're not self-sufficient or or they'll say that i am self-sufficient but that isn't even the point like the point is to acknowledge that everything we do is dependent on others uh we all we all breathe this atmosphere communally and money actually the purpose of money is to separate the consumer from the producer to isolate us from the producers so we don't realize the consequences of our own action we don't realize the intense labor that goes into our products and our easy way of life and our isolation and um what i felt was freeing about living out and living without money was i could go in the wilderness and be solitary for long periods if i wanted to or i could come into civilization and i'm just forced to interact with everyone around me because i don't i'm not restricted by four walls and it's opened up a lot of interaction that i otherwise wouldn't have and it really is about community well could you maybe maybe just uh, kind of expand a little bit on that like to, to, i mean there have obviously been uh, you know other uh people who uh would like to see a moneyless world and probably i'm sure there have been other um you know, people influential in in in, in kind of forming the, the way the, the way you the, you're thinking that you arrived at that um, the, the moneyless world is the way to go. Um, maybe you can talk about some of the people who who influenced you, or have there been you know some other attempts at you know forming uh, you know a community around this idea. Yeah, like. One of my inspirations has been Peace Pilgrim, and she walked for almost 30 years. She's an old lady. She crisscrossed the North American continent several times, and uh, she was way more hardcore than me. Like She didn't carry anything, didn't use any money, and just put herself at the mercy of other people totally. And... Um, then, of course, there are different gradations of moneyless living. There's um, intentional communities all over the world. I think there's still a website. It's called ic.org, and you can find different communities. And I visited several of them, and they're inspiring. Uh, for myself, I decided it's kind of that same philosophy that the community that we seek already exists. It's just a matter of cultivating it. So I decided to just live in the United States as if it were an intentional community already. And um, people who freely want to share with me can share and people that are open to sharing what I have, we can do that. 
something else I wanted to mention about uh, loneliness is there there is you know I have to be honest there is a certain loneliness about living this way and isolating and it's not so much as going off and living as a hermit but it is just the idea like if you do anything different you're going to feel lonely if you're a vegan you're going to mm. feel lonely. if mm -hmm. you yes have a, a strange religion you're going to feel lonely you know because you it's hard to find people that you have things in common with but i feel like I that's kindred. that's the way it is with everything if we want to do anything unique we're going to feel a certain isolation but on the other hand it it opens up more possibilities than otherwise. It's it's like two sides, of the same coin. <laughs> right, right. Well, it was interesting. <clears throat> interesting your comment about suburbia, about how people can can feel actually more isolated in that setting. And and as you were saying that, I was thinking about this neighborhood that <clears throat> I moved into a little over a year ago brand new community and and I have to I have to admit uh coming from living in a, a condo setting where I had you know tons of neighbors we were on top of each other I do actually miss that um I miss that sense of community and that you know yeah we were on top of each other but we were also interacting with each other whereas here we're still surrounded by people, but they tend to, to stay within their little world, their little house. There's not a lot of interaction. Yeah, that's, that's the weirdness of our civilization. We're so surrounded by people. You know, they can be within feet of us, and we're isolated from them, whether we're in our houses or in our cars, whatever. It's, it's almost like the carrot in front of the nose. <laughs> And I think that about like walking around in suburbia, it's like people are so afraid to be different. And, and I get that way here. It's like, you know, we're, con we're conformist animals and we, we like to conform with who we're with and everything has to look alike. Everything's cookie cutter and, and our mentality becomes that. And we see people around, but, People rarely talk with each other, and people are afraid to do anything different. And uh, you gotta, you gotta fit in. <laughs> yeah, express ourselves, and that's part of our feeling of isolation: is we can't express ourselves the way we want. Yeah, any deviation is unacceptable. <laughs> it seems. Yeah. And there seems to be a belief that people who are without home or possession are lacking or deficient in some way, which is where I think we were kind of getting to. And, and the current dominating perspective about most homeless, unsheltered beings is that they're either addicts or they're mentally ill or in the throes of a traumatic life-altering event um, that has left them somehow incapacitated. And while that's true for a good majority of the, the homeless community, little light has been shed on individuals who face a different crisis that um, little light is ever, well, it's, 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 it hasn't been spoken about much, the, the spiritual crisis that is very real and very valid that drives some to make the conscious choice to live outside the mainstream as we've been talking about and, or the drive to make money and devote their lives to the concept of wealth that has little to do with creating lasting joy or health. 
Can you comment on the tendency for people to pathologize, demonize, or, you know, criticize um, anyone who actually does want to make that choice to live closer to nature? Or the idea that we have to suppress the most natural desire for us as humans to want to be closer to the outdoors? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, the first thing that comes to mind for me is the canary in the coal mine. You know, the canary is sick. And we think there's something wrong with the canary. The canary is indicating there's something wrong with the coal mine. And I think Martin Luther King said something like that. Maybe there's something wrong with society rather than ourselves if we can't adapt. And the mental health crisis, maybe that's an indication of our society, not so much ourselves. Not that we shouldn't look at ourselves and examine ourselves and find our way out, but it should get us questioning, just like that canary in the coal mine. And we're taught to blame ourselves. There's a lot of self-hatred in, that's kind of how our civilization functions. We have to believe that human beings are somehow innately evil or wrong because we can't live up to these expectations when maybe our, what we call evilness and wrongness is just a symptom of what's wrong with our whole system. Um, I think Mark put it in that book too. It's back when I worked at uh, the homeless shelters in both Denver and Boulder, I think it was when I was working the one in Boulder somebody from the university wanted to do a panel discussion with us as shelter workers and they brought in homeless people both homeless people from the shelter and homeless people from the street who didn't want to go to the shelter <laughs> mm-hmm. and hmm. just to get all of our opinions on what was going on and of course they talked to us and and at that time we were like talking like us shelter workers were like, we're doing something great for the community and we're helping people get on their feet and reestablishing them back into society. And then they interviewed the people in the shelter and they were like, um, saying, yeah, that's, this is really, this is helping me and we're trying to get on our feet. And they kind of had like a very low self-esteem and dealing with addictions and problems and just trying to get on their feet. Then they start interviewing the, the people that didn't want to come to the shelter. They're just mm-hmm. on the street and they're saying, yeah, hey, we're having the time of our lives. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and that kind of blew our narrative, you know, and it got me questioning that's one of the things that really got me questioning myself and my own life. And of course, I was dealing with severe depression at the time, too. And I was thinking there's just a fine line between me and the people I work with in the shelter. And sometimes I would, I would be, uh, like a couple times I was hanging out, I'd saw some 
shelter residents in the street chatting with them. And they were like, so are you going back to the shelter tonight? And I said, yeah, I got to work at such and such shift or time. And they're like, oh, you work there? (laughs) (laughs) They thought I was a resident too. But yeah, it got me thinking of this whole thing. And I thought, well, what if we just shift our mentality? Like the thing that terrified me most about living without a house and without money was the stigma, not necessarily the reality of it. Like I really enjoyed camping out, roughing it. And if I could overcome that stigma of what people think and be homeless and moneyless with gusto, like as an art, Mm -hmm. then what would happen, you know? And I thought about different people in history that the irony is that the people we uphold the most in civilization were themselves homeless and moneyless, you know, like Jesus and Buddha and Mm. Muhammad and uh, the sages of India, um, the bhikkhus, you know, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, all this got me thinking. Like, if anything, it was just something fun to do. It was like this challenge. Like, part of it was that. Like, it's this challenge to do something fun and different, see if I can do it and do it with art and with a gusto. And then part of it was also, like, this spiritual journey, like looking for myself and um, and wanting to heal from depression. And then part of it was just political. You know, I just didn't want to take part in this system that's not only destroying our own souls and our own mental health it's also destroying our environment and other animals and cultures well that's what was kind of interesting um you know as a, a family member of mine who has struggled with with homelessness it it started out being a situation um, kind of that that came out of trauma, but as the years went on, it actually has turned into into a choice where you know this individual has had the opportunity to come back into the you know into the mainstream, but on the one hand, you know after after maybe coming to some kind of resolve within himself, felt freer without the constraints of, of a job, of having possessions, of, you know, having to maintain those possessions, <clears throat> it actually became kind of intimidating and, it, and more of a, a mentality that if I stay out here, I have a freedom that most other people don't have. Um, you know, a sense of, a sense of uh, connection, that is not present, you know, when, when he's, when he is confined to a job, when he is confined. So I, I, it's something that isn't spoken about because you're not supposed to want to, to be homeless. And it's not that, you know, I'm not saying that the majority of people want to be in that situation, but sometimes there comes that, that turning point where it's like, wow, I'm, I'm more comfortable not feeling constrained then yeah yeah well what's interesting is 
like people have asked me this question quite a bit, like, well, is it trauma that drove you to do this? Like, would a healthy person do this? And I don't know, like, I guess part of my philosophy is that, okay, whatever situation I'm in, I accept it and do it with gusto. So if I have trauma, then figure out a way to live with the trauma. And maybe this is how it worked out. But then when I look at our entire civilization, it's really rare to find anybody who isn't experiencing trauma. Like Hmm. the thing with looking Mm -hmm. at homeless people or native people is you see it like they're not constrained by all these veils of possessions and status four walls or whatever you see their trauma for what it is. But I look at civilization, like the whole, our whole civilization is a, a bunch of addicts. Everyone is an addict. Mm, it's like wow. there's more drug addiction among the wealthy than I think probably among the poor in the streets. Mm. But it's hidden away. It's like their drugs are legal. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. And the people on the streets, their drugs are illegal. So they get put in prisons. That's the thing is like, who isn't traumatized? And how can we step out of this trauma? That's the question. And to pinpoint somebody who's actually stepping, stepping out and admitting their trauma because you see it is not being honest. And that's what we do with people on the streets. But something else I thought about is um, I've always kind of wished I liked drugs and alcohol, but <laughs> it, they just don't work in my body. Like <laughs> I, I work best as straight edge and it's, it's not even cause it's, it's any moral thing. It's just like, I was addicted, highly addicted to caffeine for a couple decades. And finally I couldn't stand caffeine anymore. It just makes me totally ill. Uh, alcohol makes me ill. Nicotine makes me ill. Marijuana makes me ill. And I almost feel like I didn't have any other, like I didn't have any other drug to go to for help in civilization. Like most people can go to some kind of drug to help them get through. Like our civilization cannot run without addictive drugs. That's just its very nature. So my only choice was to step out and figure out how to do this without addictions and even money like possessions are the greatest addiction there is like money and food. And yeah, we're all just looking for a way to get out of these addictions. And, and I feel like we're constantly condemning each other for these addictions and we can't help it. We just have to, you know, and sometimes we find our way and, and people who find their way, we should, encourage them and help them and celebrate them. So the, to, I guess the other part of that is like, how do, how do we heal? If we're, if we are a sick society, how do we heal? And, and then bringing back the youth into that is like, what would you say to someone listening to this? Maybe who's thinking about all these very same things that, uh, that you've thought about and, you know, t- who are considering, as you said, stepping out, um, you know, what would you, what would you say to them? 
Um, I would say my my views have changed a lot over the years. It's like a lot of trial and error and coming more mature is I feel like it begins with putting away the blame, like to realize that we're all in this together and that we're all dealing with addictions and traumas. And like the whole idea of blame and punishment doesn't work. Like just just mentioning the, the prison system proves that it doesn't work, makes it worse. And I was thinking about this, uh, what's that behavioral scientist? Um, I think his name is Sapowski, Sapowski. Anyway, he said that um, when the brakes of a car are broken, of course you remove it from society so that it doesn't hurt other people. But you have no conception of punishing the car. Punishing the car doesn't do anything. You can whip it all you want. But just to recognize that it's broken and then finding a way to fix it and then put it back out in society. Like when, when we look at cause and effect, like who can we find to blame? Like we're all in this together. Like we're always trying to pinpoint one person or one thing to blame, including ourselves. And I feel like that's just step one of healing, like to realize that this is not only a process of healing myself, but of all of society, like all of society has to heal together and that sick people are a symptom of society as a whole. And um, I feel like just starting with that, like, and looking at each other with compassion rather than blame that's something i feel like is common with with people like me like living on the fringes is we can tend to and i started out this way tend to feel like it's me against the world and mm. it's an evil world and we we're fighting the world and then coming to this point where just like scientifically like looking for the causes of things we can't ever pinpoint the cause of anything there's so many multiple causes so then the idea of blame goes away and um yeah and looking at instead of looking at somebody on the street who's lost in crime and addiction and locking them away as punishment again okay maybe these are canaries in the coal mine Let's see what the problem is here. Yeah, and I don't have any easy solutions, but I feel like any, if you can drop out, if you can figure out a way of dropping out, do it. If we can remove ourselves from that mentality of punishment and reward, credit and debt, then I feel like we can begin healing. And that's the way of nature. But beyond that, there's the credit and debt way of thinking is gone, which is why there's a natural balance in wild nature. And we in this civilization, our greatest PhD economists can't figure out how to balance our own budgets. Mm -hmm. And we don't stop to think why, why is that? There are a lot of jokes uh, about economists I could probably insert here, but I'll, I'll try to <laughs> refrain. <laughs> um, wow, this has been 
Amazing. This has been amazing. Yeah. I don't know if Ariel has any other questions, but um, I, I I think we probably, uh, unless you want to uh, have any final thoughts you want to conclude with. I think I've said everything I know how to say. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> think of. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, Daniel Suelo, public speaker, blogger, philosopher, naturalist. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we found this conversation absolutely delightful and inspiring, and we hope to have many, many more with you in the near future. Thanks, Ariel Thank and you. Jason. Thank you. Thank you so much. Take, right. take care. You can find links to Suelo's website and blog in our show notes. We also recommend to our listeners the book, The Man Who Quit Money by Mark Sundin. We hope you've been enjoying our series, In and Out of the Fray. The final two episodes will be released on Tuesday, March 15th and Thursday, March 17th, 2022. To leave a comment on this or any other part of the series, you can call our voice message line at 303-731-6104. We may include it in a future episode. Thanks for listening.